0: Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. We're very thankful and very blessed to be able to gather here, amen? And uh, I think no matter how you're here this morning, I hope that we would take a posture of gratitude for the cost that was paid so that we could do this so freely. And I know there's a lot of things you could do on Memorial Day, but I just wanna say thank you for being here because I think we have a communal responsibility to stop and to honor and recognize what it costs for us to do this. There's lots of fun we have, lots of excitement that we have, lots of celebration that we have. But but I just wanna say, as a church, We're here because people sacrificed. us to be here. And so maybe that's a friend of yours or a family member uh, who who gave their life. We just, we want to honor them. And so this morning, I just want to invite you, I know you just sat down, but I want to invite you, would you stand with me if you're physically able to stand? And would you, would you pray with me as we honor and recognize uh, those who have given their life so that we could worship freely and that we could live freely and so that we could do what we're doing here today, doing church in a school. That's a special thing as a nation to gather and worship in a public place. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your love and just the purest example, Jesus, of laying down your life for another. And God, we thank you for the the men and women, many whom we we may never meet and some who we might have known personally and some who were family. We thank you for those, God, who have served this country and those who have given their life believing in, in the freedom of this nation and to worship you. And God, I pray that we would honor them with the way that we treat those around us, the way that we value the sacredness and the beauty of worship and of gathering, the way that we love one another, and God, we celebrate and we say thank you. And God, I pray for those for whom today is a very difficult day. We pray your spirit upon them. We pray a community around them. God, we pray a a rallying and and a speaking of of peace and love over their lives. God, that the support would be even greater, that the love would be even greater. And God, they would know that you are with them. And so we pray even right now for those this morning who are hurting at the loss, though we honor and recognize, we know for many that struggle is still to day, I pray you would touch their heart right now and that you would encourage their spirit to be lifted up by your grace supernaturally in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I know we were supposed to talk about how to give at Banner Church, but it felt inappropriate to go from a very important moment into that. Uh, But I I just want to say thank you, honestly, to everyone who has been giving so faithfully. We really appreciate it here at Banner Church because God has been doing some awesome stuff. And uh, we're moving. Things are, are shaking, or changing and shaking or shaking, depending on however you want to say that word. Uh, but, man, we're excited. So I want to encourage you. Uh, if you're a regular giver at Banner Church, I want to say thank you. If you, if you don't give here, I just want to encourage you to go online to banner.church. Uh, or you can just, I don't know, uh, drop it in the bucket on the way out, right? Barry? Oh, there's a QR code. Thank you. There's a QR code right there you can give. We can keep doing what God uh, is doing. Man, I'm excited to see you guys this morning. How many of you are thankful you're here this morning? very thankful. Uh, you know, you're here on Memorial Day. It just means you're more spiritual than everybody else. Uh, no. Uh, We we love and celebrate. It's the summer here at Banner Church. I want you to know that anytime you're here, we're so excited. Obviously, we love when you're here more than less because we love you, and we like to see you, and we like to to come to the altar together and pray for one another. And man, it's a lot easier to pray for somebody you know and see. So we're just always excited that that you're here. Uh, But we know there's lots of people watching online, so we just want to say, hey, we love you. We know you're camping, and you still chose to wake up and watch church. Good for you, right? I guess you're technically the most spiritual, right? (laughs) Uh, We're glad you're here. I did see a couple people come in. I thought I saw the hunkies back here. Allie and Jordan and baby Watson. Oh my goodness. Just a testimony to God's goodness and human endurance that you're here like a day and a half later. (laughs) Uh, Amazing. You guys are amazing. So cute. I won't make you hold him up. Uh, But really cute. You guys have the internet. You know how to, you know, find photos. Uh, So cool. Uh, Also, I thought I saw my friends Jensen and Hannah here. Oh, there you are. Looking so stylish. So good to see you guys. Our dear friends. We love you guys. And uh, you wore a dark greenish color, so good job getting the memo from the worship team. They were just ready to go, pop back up there, so excited you guys are here. Today we're going to be talking about new territory. It's our series going through the book of Joshua, and uh, I, I love—hey, that's my baby. Uh, you know what they say, if babies are crying, the church ain't dying, right? <laughs> that's, that's how it goes, right? If you're ever like, does Pastor Josh care if my baby cries? I don't. It's just encouraging. And it helps me promote kids, people serving in kids' ministry. (laughs) Uh, Like, please do that. (laughs) Um, But we've been talking about this series and reading through the book of Joshua. And I just have to say, I don't know about you, but I love the Word of God. And every time I go back to the Word of God, I just I love it more because, and I don't I don't know about you, but it, it transforms my life. Like it renews my spirit it speaks to me and and i love being in the book of Joshua even when there's some heavy stuff there's just so much and it's like i have not gotten to a point in my life where it's like well i've read this and so i feel like i've taken all that there is to take from it every time i read the word of god there's more and sometimes that more is just being reminded of what i already knew sometimes that more is like wow this is so rich but we've we've been going through the book of Joshua because we've been talking about stepping out in faith towards God's promises. And I understand in this season that our mind might say, yeah, the, the stepping out, the new territory for Banner is a new facility. And I, I like that. New faci- you know, facilities are great, and we're very excited. But can I just tell you, that's not the new territory. The new territory is the promise of God. So we're not Israel. We don't have like this physical promised land. We have a promise that's the ministry of the spread of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're praying for is an awakening to step into the promises. That this is a launching into something that's happening here. And it's happening in your homes. And it's happening in your businesses. And it's happening you know, in your schools or whatever it might be. And then we come together to a building and we celebrate. But it's happening. It's stirring. It's moving. The promise is with you. And so we're in the book of Joshua, but what's amazing is as we read through the book of Joshua, we're, we're believing for ourselves in many ways. We're seeing and we're learning and we're growing because the spiritual principles are so true. And we're very blessed to live in a time where Jesus has come and died and risen again and sent his spirit. So we have some context on fulfillment. Amen. On that note, let's do this. Let's start talking about Jesus. And I know we're in Joshua, but we're going to read the first chapter of Matthew really quick. So if you brought your Bible, you can go to Joshua, or you can start in the book of Matthew. We're going to start there. And I think sometimes when we see lists, we kind of shut our brain off, right? Like these are a list of names. Maybe some of them are hard to pronounce. But but lists are really important And they're really important historically. And you say, okay, well, that's great. Like, is this a history class? Yes, I guess it is. Because what we're doing is we're telling the history of what God has done and His faithfulness. And so these names are important to the history of the work of God. And you and I are now part of that history. And so we're on a different list, but this list is very, very important. It says this, Matthew chapter 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and then it goes, starts from the beginning, the son of Abraham. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, the twins, whose mother was Tamar. That's a whole other message about a really interesting person that we'll cover another time. But Perez the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. Okay, pause right there. Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, pause. That's the name we're gonna hit today. So if Salmon is the father and Rahab was the mother, you know, Salmon and Rahab were together. They're the father of Boaz. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. How many of you here for our Ruth series? It says, Obed, woo! You're like, oh shoot, I should have been paying attention. Sorry, I was on Instagram. I'll get the next one. We're casually Pentecostal here. Uh, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And if you go down the list and you get to the end, I won't read the whole list. It says, right, it talks about Joseph, father of Jesus, right? If, well, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it goes through the whole list getting to Jesus. And it's fascinating as we look at this list, we see some big things. I mentioned Ruth, like we did a series on Ruth. And Ruth was a foreigner, right? She uh, she came with her mother-in-law, who was a part of the people of Israel, her, her mother-in-law, Naomi. She came with her, and it's really a beautiful story of redemption. And she meets this man, Boaz, who really has this extraordinary vision for an outsider. Boaz, for some reason, has learned or been taught to see somebody who is maybe on the outside, who maybe is a foreigner who, who who is different in the land and so Boaz marries Ruth and what we know about Boaz is that his mother was a woman named. Rahab. Boaz's mom was named Reaz and Rahab, and so you have Boaz, this extraordinary man, full of the Lord, and it's like, where did he learn it? Well, he he probably learned it from his parents, right? From Solomon and from Rahab. And so if you're just like on the surface with that information, you would go, wow, Rahab was probably an incredibly godly woman, right? Like she probably grew up in the church, she probably went to the potlucks, right? Rahab, I mean, I don't know. Maybe she was, uh, she was the person who like sewed her own clothes because like the clothes at the store weren't even conservative enough, right? She was one of those like kind of Christians. She, would, she like led every Bible study every day. She had that Bible where the spine was falling apart, right? You'd think like, well, if they raised Boab, then that's the kind of believer that you would have to be. But let's go to Joshua chapter 2, 1. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. This is what I think is so fascinating is that we often define who God can and cannot use. And yet we read a Bible, we read a word of God, right, We that has been written and recorded full of men and women that wouldn't make the cut in our mind. Or if we had that past, if we had that history, we certainly wouldn't assume to be in the position of being in the lineage of Jesus, right? Let alone being used at all. But here is a list, like right, that here we have the... The, the children and the grandchildren who are outsiders, foreigners, who are different, who are from different pasts. And I want to encourage you today, we're going to talk about what God can do, but the biggest battle you're going to have in your mind is erasing what you believe God cannot do because of your past, because of what's been described about you. And so it says that Joshua, at the beginning of verse 2, they're preparing to go in the land. So Joshua sends spies, and they come to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. It says is Israel is at is this place, Shittim or Shittim, however you want to say it. It's in the Bible. That's how it says it in there. Uh, you could say Acacia Groves, however you want to say it. That's the location. And what's interesting about this space that Israel's at is that they've been there before. In Numbers 25... We read that Israel's living in that same area, and Numbers 25 says, words of the Bible, they began to whore with Moab. Using whore as a verb. That's strong, right? How many kids are in here? All right, we're okay. (laughs) Well, this part's going to be not kid-friendly, but there's not that many. No, No, they're all in kids' church. Send your kids to kids' church. They're babies. They're fine. They won't remember any of this. But what happens is, as they're living there, they begin to prostitute themselves, as the word of God says, in different sexual acts. And so judgment comes against them, and God is angry, and he says, listen, you, Israel, has made itself a prostitute. So in Numbers 25, last time they were in this area, God said, you have prostituted yourself and so if you were Israel and you were now back in the same spot, you would understand the contextual history here. Or let's say you were being taught the Old Testament. As a young Jewish person, you were being taught the Old Testament, you would get this history be like, okay, I'm following the story, right? Like, okay, if you're, if you're watching Star Wars and you get to the ninth one and don't know what a lightsaber is yet, you've not been paying attention. You're like, what? Light swords? That feels totally impractical. That's why they're all dying. Right? Get a blaster. Different sermon. But the Jewish people understood last time we were here, we prostituted ourselves. And so if you were reading Joshua 2, if you're just walking into it, you might be a little concerned. Like, okay, here we go again. Right? Because they prostituted themselves last time where they were there, and here we have two spies, and they're going into the land. Who's the first person that they hang out with? A prostitute, like, okay, I've seen this story, right? Here's what I've learned I've learned as a minister that people don't change just because you tell them to. <laughs> that would make my life so easy. That as human beings, we have to have an encounter, we have to have an experience, and we have to have understanding that produces desire. And how we do that is we teach, right? We instruct, we guide so that, so that people, the reason that, we're, that I'm sharing this is to teach, to guide, and to instruct so that you might have a, a, an encounter and a deeper understanding with the word of God. And that would produce a desire to pursue righteousness and obedience and a fruitful life. And what I love about Rahab, but I think it could be read over it's just like, that's an interesting story, is that Rahab is how God is teaching Israel. Because here's what he's saying. He's like, will the people, will my people have faith? Israel is about to go in the promised land, but Israel needs to learn. They need to learn what it's like to turn from their prostitution, to turn from their whoring, and instead dedicate themselves fully to God. Are you with me? So God is going to use Rahab here in his word to teach his people, listen, we must turn from the things we are prostituting ourselves to and fully devote ourselves to God. They need to learn. And I I love that he uses Rahab because you think, like, who's going to teach them? Is Moses going to say it or is Joshua going to say it? Or, you know, I don't know, some some great prophet's going to raise up? No, they don't listen to any of those people. But will they listen from the lived out experience and dwelt among them example of Rahab? Yes and no. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But I love Rahab because I believe that Rahab teaches us what it is like to abandon our old life and go all in for God. Here's what it says, verse 2. You still with me? I know that was a lot of times saying the word prostitute in one sermon, but it's important. It's important here. It prepares our heart. Verse 2, it says, And it was told to the king of Jericho Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight in search of the land, oh, to search out the land. So the spies go to the land, they go uh to, to crossover, and they come, you know, to the area around Jericho. And it says that when they when they come in, they, they encounter this prostitute. And you might say, that's a little odd, like it's kind of a weird choice of a home. They could have chosen anywhere. But in in common practice, it's not that unusual in a place where men are traveling and dwelling, for there to be certain services offered consistently. Culturally, Right? Everyone's with me, right? I think, yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) I've already said enough things for this not to make it up on our YouTube. But I think we get the context. But this is not that unusual for them to be there, to be traveling through. But the king notices, and I've heard a preacher say, like, yeah, they were terrible spies. And I think that's because we picture all spies in two forms, Ninja or Jason Bourne. That's not how humans work, okay? I don't, I hate to spoil that for you. That's not how human beings work. You're going to go look at a land, put on like a slightly different outfit, and you go. But you can't change your face, right? So Jericho was a very closed city. And here you have a group of people that have been being observed by that city. And now two people who look oddly similar to that group of people that's been ethnically consistent and regulated. Now two of them like, you guys look kind of like those, right? So... They begin to be discovered because they're standing out. They're not like, I guess they could have been bad at their job, but nothing in Scripture says they're bad at their job. Uh, And this is coming from a book that is rather hard on spies. But verse 3 says, The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who've come to you who entered your house, for they've come to search out the land. It says, But the woman had taken two men and hidden them. And she said, True. So the king sends his men. He says, "Listen, we got to find these guys." And we know in a second it's because they're terrified and they want to know what's going on. But she's hidden them under flax. It's flax, you can get uh, different seeds from it, but also you can dry it out. You can use it for all kinds of rope or a certain kind of fabrics. You can use flax for all kinds of things. And so you'd have to, you have to dry it before you can mill it or, 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 you know, make it into longer sinews. And so they would pile it up. And so the likelihood is she had this some pile drying somewhere, take some, puts them underneath it, and it says that the gate was closed and Jericho is closed off. We'll talk about that in a second. But it says in verse 8, and the reason I'm breaking this up is because it is like a little choppy as a translated uh, thing, because we might reorder these. Different languages order thoughts differently. We might reorder these a little bit, but we're reading them as they're ordered from the text. Verse 8 says, B- Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So it kind of explains something, and then it's telling us, but before that happens, this happens. Before they lay down, she hit them. Before they lay down, before, they, it says that she comes up to the roof. So before the king comes, before there's, where there's still a chance to betray, she has this conversation. And this is really, really, really where the meat and the potatoes of what we are focusing on today is right here in verse 9. It says, She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Follow this. The word of God is rich and good. Follow this. It says I know that the Lord has given you the land and that fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. It says for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, which is a great way to say, wiped out. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And look, look at the end of verse 11, so, so big. It says, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. That's a really powerful thing to say. Sometimes when we read the Word of God, we're like, yes, of course you would say that kind of stuff. It's the Bible, and the Bible says that kind of stuff all the time. But we need to understand the person who is saying this. This is not a Jewish theologian hiding out. This is the neighborhood prostitute who is making a bold declaration of faith about God. And like, not the God of the city. And we have the freedom to come and gather here and say these kind of things. They didn't. It's different. She says, she says, I know, I am confident that the Lord has given you the land. Why is she confident? Well, she's confident because she lists all the testimonies that she's seen. The Red Sea and the Amorites and the victory. And she said, the city is scared. Our hearts are melting as we're seeing what the Lord is doing. And really, it's interesting because even though this is thousands of years ago, I find it consistent that there's always two responses, usually, to the work of God. You can be closed off or you can surrender. There's always two responses to when, when God begins to move, is that you can be closed off to what he's doing or you can surrender. Jericho was closed off, right? It's almost this metaphor stamped, this symbolic moment stamped in the word of God and in the promised land of something to overcome is is a people, a city, a nation, a a stronghold physically and spiritually that is closed off and and in opposition to what God is doing. But then you have this very meek moment where, where Rahab is confident and open and confessing and recognizing God. And so she says, go back to verse 11. You still with me, amen? amen. It says, for the Lord your God. Look at that. For the Lord your God. How many of you are thankful for the word of God this morning, right? It's good. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. It's easy to go like, okay, yeah, big deal. Yeah, she's saying, she's recognizing, Yeah. God is God? Okay, neat. This is a huge deal. This is a foreigner, a prostitute, right? Like, they're they're not passing around copies of the law in Jericho, right? She's making a profound statement and a confession of faith, saying, the Lord your God, Yahweh Elohim, right? Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. What she's saying, she's saying, Yahweh is God, in Canaan, the gods had names. And there were many small E Elohim, spiritual God-like creatures, figures, beings. But Rahab says Yahweh. She doesn't say a God is God or your God is God. She uses his name. Yahweh is God. Yahweh, your God, is God. Here's another way of saying that. When she says Yahweh, He is God, another way to say that was He's the only true God. Because if you say He's God, capital G God, it means all the other gods of her city, of her culture, of her place are not truly God. Asherah, Baal, Marduk, Ishtar, all of these would be false gods. She's saying only Yahweh. And then doubling down on top of that, she says, in heaven above and earth beneath. Only Yahweh. Yahweh is the only God in heaven above and earth beneath. In Scripture, this language is used to give an exclusive claim of sovereignty to God. It acknowledges, God, you have the authority. And it means that he alone, when God has the authority, it means this. It doesn't mean like he can like have an unlimited credit limit or some kind of thing we would attach on earth to like power and authority. It's like, wow, he can go wherever he wants. You can cut in line at Baskin-Robbins, right? It's like, like we think so small. When, when we say God has all the authority, it means he's the only one worthy of devotion, of worship, and of allegiance think Rahab was afraid? Probably. But I think she was convinced. And here's how I know she was convinced. Because in her statement of faith, she has changed her life and her belief and risked it all for the truth. That's a confession of faith. Let me tell you, here's a confession of faith. It's not casual. It's life-altering. It's saying, in God alone will I trust. God and only God is God. And I will not only speak it out with my words, but I will transform my life and change my belief system accordingly. Are you still with me? Okay, so we see her confession of faith. Let's keep going. Verse 12. She says, and I love this. This is very bold, by the way. She's like, "Uh, please swear to me. By the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you—that word kindly is great. We'll come back to that. As I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. She's getting to everybody. She's like— Everyone's in on this. Not just Rahab, everyone. All who belong to them. So not only father, mother, brother, and sisters, but like all of their spouses, everyone who belongs. So that's a good grip of people, right? It says that you will deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, love this, our life for yours, even to death. That's a strong thing to say to a prostitute you met eight hours ago, right? But they're recognizing something in her confession of faith, amen? They're recognizing something that God is doing. They're saying, our life for your life, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I think this is so courageous, and God is using Rahab really to speak to Israel to remind him what he's done. Rahab says, show me said, that word, right? Treat me kindly. Show me kindness is it said, It's a rich word. It means the loving kindness, the mercy of God. When we read Psalm 23, it's, it's the scripture that comes out when he says, surely I will see that the loving kindness, the goodness of God, to show that to me. She says, save me. God, be my salvation, And then in verse 14, they promised her. They said, okay, great. We received that. And now we're going to make you a promise. Or a better way to say was, we're going to go into covenant with you and say our life for yours. If this is real, if this is not just you being deceiving, if you keep your word and you don't sell us out and we get murdered in this city, then we will promise and secure your life with our life. We will purchase your salvation with our lives as the insurance. Are you with me? says, when judgment comes, you will receive mercy because our lives are recovering for you. This is what I like to call foreshadowing. If you know Jesus, then you're probably reading a little bit of Jesus into this moment because God didn't change from the Old Testament and the New Testament. He fulfills. And it says that she let them down by a rope in the window, not her first rodeo. Right, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall and she said to them go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days till the pursuers have returned and afterwards you may go your way so she releases them they leave they're let down from a cord and as the cord is hanging there the men turn and they speak to her it says the men said to her we will be guiltless and respect this oath of yours that you made us swear behold when we come into the land you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather in your house your father and your mother and your brother and all your father's household then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless it says but if a hand is laid on anyone who is in your house his blood shall be on our head but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent him away, and they departed. And she tied a scarlet cord in the window. Scarlet, meaning the color of blood. I'm just going to say again, I love the word of God, Right? I love the word of God because when they're swearing to her, they're they're getting into a really getting into a covenant with her, right? There's a commitment, but there's a covenant because it's about life, and that and it's a life for a life. There's a covenant of, of salvation and, and salvation for this woman and her family to be brought out of a place of oppression, to be brought out of a place of prostitution, and to be brought into the family of God, into the presence of God. And they say, tie this this scarlet cord. And I think it's very purposeful as the writer's recording this here that he's pulling from the history of God's covenant rescue of his people from Israel. Because if you remember Exodus, if you ever learned about Exodus, when God sends judgment upon the people of Egypt, he says to the people of Israel, now take the blood of a spotless lamb and put it on the doorpost, and then when judgment comes, it will pass over you. If you go out of the house, you're screwed. But if you stay in the house, it will pass over, and then you will be saved, and you will be brought out, and you will be my children. And so the guys who are speaking to Rahab are saying, listen, if you take the scarlet cord and you put and you hang this in your door then when judgment comes it will pass over you and you and your family will be brought out and you will be saved and you will be part of our family the people of God. This is what's amazing. Rahab in one day goes from prostitute to covered by a covenant. And remember God is teaching his children. Are you still with me? God is teaching his children. He's saying listen. Listen leave the old leave the prostitution to other things and dedicate yourself fully to me confess me as your Lord change your heart and your life and your beliefs because if you call on me if you confess me as Lord you receive my mercy and you're covered by me and you will be delivered Rahab is a powerful visual of a life sold out to God and what God can do it with do with it. It's God who moves Rahab from the town prostitute to the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's what God can do. It doesn't matter if you feel like your story is on par with hers, greater, lesser. All people are, 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 are possible. All things are possible because of God who through His promise and His ability and His purity and His goodness can say, those who would confess me as Lord and come into obedience and under my authority I can move into the possibility. At the beginning of this, she's a prostitute, she's an enemy, and a foreigner. At the end of this, she's in the line of David and the lineage of Jesus Christ. What? This is why people sometimes get confused when they look at the church, is if the church begins to write people off and push people away, who would be in the lineage of Christ. Right? That's why the church doesn't just push for a certain kind of, we, we want to welcome in, but we also believe in transformation. Because she didn't get in the lineage because she was a prostitute. She got in because she made a confession of faith before the Lord. Because she abandoned the old. Because she devoted herself to God. And I love that we can read the Old Testament with an understanding of the New Testament because as we read the Old Testament we understand and believe and can see all that Jesus has done. See Rahab taught Israel but she also teaches us. Because all of us due to sin are outside of a relationship with God. God. Before we come under the covenant of the Lord, we are enemies. And I I know if you're new to church, this might be really strong language, but I just, it's my responsibility to tell you because I don't want you to spend another minute outside the love of Jesus Christ and outside the possibility that comes through a loving God. That when we do not have Christ, we're enemies to Christ through sin, by our choice. And there's many ways that we might prostitute ourselves, for the lack of better words, to sin maybe we worship other things with our life we worship ourselves we worship our pride whatever it might be but like Rahab I want to encourage you that's not the full story of what God wants to write in your life that God specifically wants to wash away the old and welcome in the new that you would live a new life that's why our mission here is that all people would experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ that no one is beyond that so the question is then how do we do that like Rahab? How do we die to the old and live a new life? Really quick. You ready? Everyone ready with me this morning? Yeah. Romans ten nine says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with, one heart, with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Somebody say amen. amen. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me give you something real quick this morning. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction. There's no separation due to your past there's no application there's no application fee he's not like going through and say well you, you, you filled form B and so you're not getting in or man it looks like you spent a season living this way you know this was a this was a chapter of your life where you were walking through this and you know what because of that you're disqualified from the salvation God does not say that He says confess with your mouth. That I'm the Lord. Believe with your heart that I'm the Lord. Like Rahab, declare Yahweh is God. He's the only God. He's the God of all things, and He's the only one who deserves the worship reserved for Him. See, it's not just recognizing that God is a neat idea. I think culture's really good at that, right? It's really good at recognizing, like, oh yeah, God's a cool idea. Spirituality is a good idea we have to be transformed in our mind by the truth of the Messiah. We have to come under the authority of Yahweh as we recognize him as Lord and Savior. I think there's going to be people showing up to heaven in church clothes that don't get in because they've confessed a service order or they've confessed an Easter attendance or a denomination. They have the scripture verse in the bio but they don't have the Savior in their heart. And they're going to get there and they'll be like, I don't even recognize this guy. Why? Why? Because the people who have probably actually been fighting and struggling, the people that they might feel uncomfortable with because they, they, they're, they're wrestling and they're walking and they're living it out, those people every day wake up and say, Jesus, I need you. Yahweh, you're God. You're the only God. You're the one true God. You deserve all my worship and I will pursue righteousness and faithfulness with everything in my heart to pursue you. See, we have to fully and completely surrender to God. Fully and and completely. I believe that confession of faith, like Rahab, needs to be burned in us, that it would radically transform the way we live and operate our life. That's the beginning. Can I tell you, if you're waiting for a step to receive the hope of Jesus, the first step is just confess Him with your mouth, believe in your heart. The next is, and I love this one, ready? Receive His mercy. Rahab said, treat me kindly, show me his said, show me mercy, show me loving kindness. Can I tell you that's what Jesus has already done for you? He has such great mercy for you. We're singing that song, Jesus, I Love You. I know it's like the same four words over and over again. I just, I love singing that. It's like overwhelms me. I'm not a big crier, uh, but man, I, I can't help it in that song. Jesus is so good. I did literally nothing to deserve that mercy and love, and yet he gave it to me. In fact, I've done things that do not deserve mercy and love, and yet he's given it to me. And it's like when he's singing that song, it's like, it's emotional for me. Jesus, I love you. And you've shown such great mercy. 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Ephesians 2.4 says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Man, I think some, there's some people here today, you confess your sins all day, but you refuse to receive the mercy of God. You have no problem seeing yourself as a piece of crap, dirty, wretched, but you, you can't see yourself as someone who's lovable, should receive mercy, should receive grace. You can't see yourself that way. You're like, no, but I'm garbage. I'm, I need God because I'm just dirty and I'm gross. Like, I don't, maybe. But that's not how he sees you. He looks at you with mercy. He gives you mercy. He doesn't give what you've earned. He gives what he has done for you, which is great mercy. Can I just encourage you? Some of you just, it's a mindset shift today of, I will receive the mercy of God. And I will begin to look even at my own life and understand and recognize the great mercy that I will stop being so mean to myself. But I'll receive his mercy. Third thing, and band, you guys can come over, do whatever you guys do. I'm sorry, we're going a little late. We only have one service, Ada. We're brought into his covenant. We are brought into his covenant. Israel was covered by the blood Life for a life, right? For your sin, it takes a life. Rahab was an outsider. Said that scarlet cord, life for a life, that's our promise. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for you. Life for a life. He said, listen, I'm gonna purchase your life with my life and bring you into a new covenant. That's why we just, we just took communion, right? Jesus says, In Luke 22, that cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was sacrifices. It was the sacrifice of the lamb. Jesus says, listen, you've been brought in to my covenant. If you confess him as Lord, if you receive his mercy, it's a new covenant that's paid for with his blood. See, this is why following Jesus is bold and courageous. It's it's not an addition to your life. It's a dying to your old self. Rahab abandoned her old self and fully trusted in God, fully trusted in the Lord. She risked it all. She gave everything. I was recently reading about a pastor who had discipled under evangelist and I watched the evangelist give a call, an altar call, and it was so simple. He just gave the call, come and die. That was his call. Some of you have been in church long enough. You remember when we didn't just do like close your eyes and make sure no one sees you do anything before the Lord, very quietly to yourself. Raise your, like we made it so easy to say like yes to Jesus, but then like there's no choice, right? You know, that's a different sermon. But then he was talking about how the call was to come and die, and the altar was full of people. And so, you know, he's trying to, trying to duplicate the guy because he wants, you know, recognition, right? You know, we've all been there. And uh, so he does the same altar call at his own thing. He's like, come and die, and nobody comes up. Like, nobody comes forward. And uh, he was like, oh, not doing that again. Like, not, not doing that altar call. And he felt like the Lord, like, directed him, like, no, do that altar call because the call is still the same. I continue to put that call out because that's what it is to follow Christ. If you see death as as the end of, of possibility and of hope, then that's a really scary altar call. But if you see death as dying to the old self so you can live in possibility and hope, it's a beautiful thing. If you see it as the old is gone, the new has come. I know it sounds scary to say. I mean, that would be a scary altar. Come and die. But it's important. It's liberating. Come die to your old self like Rahab. Come lay yourself at the feet of Yahweh and receive something new. Be a part of the new covenant that comes through God. Because we're told in the Word, the old has gone and the new has come. Scripture says if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's the only reason come and die is not like a scary altar call. Because it's come and die to the shame of the past, of the sin, of the old self, of the old failures, of the words that have been spoken over, of the things that hang over us. Too many of us were trying to add Jesus in, and really he's saying, no, let's reboot this thing. We got to put a new operating system in this thing, so it runs the way that I created it to run, full of life and possibility and hope. I was speaking with one of our guys when we were fishing here this morning and he's telling me a little bit about his life before Christ and he said something so profound because he's a very wise, wise uh, man of God. He said, yeah, you know, that was my life before, but that that man is dead, my brother in the back here. And I just thought that's so profound. He's like, yeah, it's hard sometimes to hear that stuff, but that person's dead. And I was like, man, that's so awesome. Like how many of us who are even believers have forgot that? Like that person's dead, right? The person I was before Christ, that person's dead. That old life, that's dead. That's passed away. That's gone. Yeah, it's going to be part of my story, but it's not going to be the point of my story. The point of my story is the Lord. Like God is the main character in my life story yes, it's going to be part of my my past. It's going to define my testimony. It might even be a ministry. It might be a way I can minister to others. But those things, that's the old self. That's what's passed away. And yes, you know, temptations might come and difficulty might come and, and things might come against me. But you know what? I turn and I say, that is my old self that has passed away. And now I'm living in God's work for my life, which is sanctification, which is righteousness, which is freedom, which is hope, which is eternity. And this morning, I believe as we look at Rahab, there's two responses. As we look at a woman who abandoned her old life to go all in for God, there's two responses. One of them is, man, if you have never abandoned your old life and truly said, Yahweh, you are God. Jesus, you are God. I give you my life. Can I just tell you, that will change everything in a moment. It'll begin a journey of transformation, of sanctification, of renewal that will blow your mind. But there's another response, too, that maybe some of you, you've died to yourself, but you've struggled to take up your cross daily. And you'd say, yeah, that old self is dead, but lately I've been doing some grave digging. And I pulled up some pieces I kind of missed and some, some items of clothing that I really liked. And I was like, oh, those are good. Yeah, and it smells a little bit, but, you know, like it feels good. I just feel like the Lord is saying no no if you've died to it leave it dead. There's a work at the altar where we come and we confess our sins and we say, "Lord, I give this to you." Would you stand with me this morning as we close? I'm just going to open this altar time in just a second. Would you just bow your heads with me? I'm going to I'm going to open the altar in just a second and invite you to respond. We What happens if you've never been here on a Sunday morning is I I like to invite us into a posture of response because often our physical posture will deeply affect our heart posture. And so as we make steps, as we step into what we're believing God for, that putting a, a boldness in our step and coming forward and seeking prayer really prepares our heart in a moment. So I know some people aren't physically able so it's not like this spot's more sacred but I really want to encourage you in just a second if you're in either of those places I'm just going to invite you in just a second to come forward. If you're in that place this morning and you're just like God I need to give you everything. Yahweh maybe maybe you've never or maybe you have but you've you've done a little digging up or you feel like they're still kind of hanging on whatever it is and you're like Lord I just need to give you everything. I believe in uncomplicated altar time. So if you're here you're just hungry for the Lord and you feel like today you know what I don't want to leave with anything that I've not fully given to Him. And you're saying, Jesus, I want to give you everything. I just, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, we invite you into this moment. And like Rahab, I thank you, God, that it does not matter how the world is labeled. They labeled her a prostitute. You said, no, you're in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God, there's so much that you do. So I pray even right now as, as we're longing to step in and to receive prayer, so we're longing to step, God, I just pray against the, the hooks and chains of shame that would try to come and hold someone back this morning. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to minister right now invite you to minister right now. Wherever you are, just invite him. Holy Spirit, we invite you to minister. Here's what I want to do. is the band sings this song, I'm going to invite you in just a second. If that's you and you would say this morning, maybe for the first time, you're like, Jesus, I need to give you everything. God, I'm going to lay it down. I want the old to be gone. The new has come. I'm going to walk in Jesus Christ. Or maybe today you're here. You're like, God, there are things Maybe i have dug up or hanging on me, and I just, I do not want to walk out of these doors without saying, God, I trust you with everything. I give you everything. If that's you, I know it's a bold call. I just want to invite you. Would you just come up right now as the band plays? We want to pray with you. We welcome you right now. If you're saying, God, I just want to give you everything, just come up. And as you come up, just begin to say, Jesus, I give you everything in my life, and I receive the mercy that comes from you. That's a you and him conversation. Jesus, I give you everything in my life. As the Lord stirs, I just invite you. You're here to have this moment with the Lord, to have this moment in community. Don't leave without having it. Jesus, I give you everything. Some things in your past you don't wanna walk out with. There's some words over your life that you don't wanna carry. There's some decisions that haunt you. There's some attitudes. Maybe there's an attitude even that you've dug up from the past that you thought was dealt with, but for some reason you went back and tried to dig it up. Whatever it is, you're just saying, Jesus, I give everything to you. Band, I'm just going to invite you, would you pray, would you play? And then prayer team, would you just come around and pray? We'll pray in a second. Holy Spirit, we invite you to minister. Let's just worship the Lord together.
1: Our our Say, Jesus,
0: I give it all
1: to you. Just pour it out, out to him, everything. I give it all Jesus, to you, Jesus. All about you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For receive his mercy,
0: Come on, you just have a spirit of regret. There's a spirit of regret, an attitude of regret over your life. You're like, I just, I need to walk through that. It's hanging over you, regrets that you have. Saying the old is gone, the new is come. Be healed,
1: be healed,
0: be renewed by his spirit. We just keep playing and worshiping. So I invite you, you can stay in a place of worship. But I wanted to say that you are dismissed this morning. If you'd like to go and go to lunch and hang out together, I really encourage you, if you would take that connection card and drop it in, we'd love to help you take a next step to connect, to grow, to serve. Don't leave without really deciding if you wanna take a next step in what God's doing here. But I wanna say be blessed. Our team will be here worshiping and praying. Have an incredible Sunday. We look forward to seeing you next week.
1: Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.